0: Um, With that, uh, turn with me uh, to the book Book of Philippians, and we are in uh, Philippians chapter 2 this morning, and we'll be looking at verses uh, 19 to 24, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 24, and I'm going to read from verse 14 down for the sake of context. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to boast because I did not run in vain nor labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering, Upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And you also rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be in good spirits when I learn of your circumstances. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned about your circumstances. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. Therefore I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I evaluate my own circumstances. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at this, passage this morning. Help us. Please open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our minds to understand, our hearts to receive instruction, not only about um, the words, but about the men, about the people, about the situation, about the implications and applications for our own lives. Please guide us and instruct us in your word. And I pray that my words would be your words and your words would go forth in power and precision to impact the hearts and minds of your people. For your glory, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In my um, preaching classes in seminary, the professors would give a warning concerning the preaching of narratives in which one character dominated the storyline or passage. And they would say this, Beware of the killer bees. Always made me think of killer bees, but um, what they meant by that was, beware of the temptation to moralize the passage in such a way that you make the main point and application of the text to be like Joseph or be like Ruth, or as many of you have probably heard a sermon titled, dare to be a Daniel. Be like this person, be like this guy, or don't be like that guy, or don't be like that girl. And in a sense, it is true that we are to learn from the examples of every character in the Bible, both from the positive and negative, both from their strengths and their weaknesses, and both uh, from their righteous acts and their sinful deeds. We are called to um, look at the examples of the heroes of the faith and, and those uh, um, villains as well. Um, that even as Paul told the Corinthians, these things were written down as an example for us. And there are great lessons to be learned from every character, just as there are some great lessons for us to learn this morning from the example of Timothy. But the greater lessons come not from so much from the example of the of Timothy or the person or the character, but what God is doing through the characters in the Bible. In addition to what we learn from the characters themselves. And this is also true of Timothy here in this passage, because like everyone else in the Bible, and and like us as well, like all people, Timothy didn't just drop out of the sky, but he had a personal and spiritual history and context through which God had been working, both in his life and in the lives of those around him. Um, There's background, and uh, we see a lot of background throughout the New Testament concerning Timothy, but there's even more that we don't know. And we see this when we first meet him in Acts chapter 16, and you can turn there, and just to be reminded of this man Timothy, who is an example for um, many of us um, in the church, but um, also a prime example for uh, young men and young ministers, but we see him first in Acts 16 as, as Paul it says Paul also arrived at Derby and at Lystra in modern day um, Turkey. And it says, Behold, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brothers who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And we don't know too much about, much more about his father, just that he was a Greek. Many would assume that because Paul is able just to um, grab this young man and take him along on a missionary journey and an endeavor, uh, many assume that his father was dead. Um, but nonetheless, his father was a Greek, and uh, and yet his his mother and even his grandmother were believers, and they had an impact on him. And so um, Paul takes him because he sees promise in him. Um, but there's also a sense that God had providentially worked in the life of Timothy so that he would, in a in a sense, have be able to have a foot in both worlds. Um, that he, with having a Jewish mother and a grandmother, um, have an understanding of the scriptures and Jewish life um, and be able to interact with Jews but also being a Greek and having a Greek father he had uh, some understanding of the Greco-Roman world and would be able to interact with them and so there's a reason why Paul circumcises him so that he can have entrance into the synagogues when uh, Paul would go into the synagogues. And so um, Timothy um, proves to be a valuable asset. And we learn a little bit more about him um, in Paul's last letter to him, uh, 2 Timothy 1, in which he writes to him and he says uh, in verses 3 to 7, I am grateful to God whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did as I unceasingly remember you in my prayers night and day. Longing to see you, having remembered your tears so that I may be filled with joy, being reminded of the unhypocritical faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am convinced that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love And self discipline. And then further on in that book, in in chapter 3 and verses 10 to 15, he writes this But you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you continue in the things you learned and became convinced of, knowing from whom you learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise unto salvation, which is in, through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So, just a few passages we are reminded of. Um, who Timothy was, um, Paul's initial meeting with him, and and then um, the end of Paul's life, his last correspondence with Timothy. And we learn about his upbringing. We learn about his faith. We learn about his um, integrity, his desire to um, follow not only Paul, but Jesus Christ to make him known. But we also see a bit of his weaknesses In 2 Timothy, and Paul's desire to encourage him, to um, spur him on, to reinvigorate him in the faith and in ministry. And so, as we look at this passage this morning, which primarily centers around Timothy and his character, giftings, and reputation, I want you to not only learn from his example, that is um, one of the main points of this text, but to also see how God provides for, guides, equips, and grows his church through men, men whom he also guides, equips, and grows, and furthermore to see that God has not left Paul alone while he's in the Roman house arrest, nor has he left the Philippians without help, but he has provided both Paul and the Philippians with a gifted and trustworthy servant to help them in their growth in the ministry of the gospel. That God always provides, God always sends help, and oftentimes that's through men, that's through people. And so as we look at this passage, we will see how Timothy will be a great help to the Philippians as Paul explains his intentions to send him to them and explains the reasons why. The first of which being, the character of Timothy. Verses 19 to 21 we see this as Paul writes and he it, just after he had explained um, his attitude towards his potential death and and just the sacrifice and service of his of, of the faith uh, the faith of the Philippians of the um, faith of the rest of the church and and then he says but I hoped In the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be in good spirits when I learn of your circumstances. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned about your circumstances, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Right here we see Paul right up front says um, a few things about Timothy's character few things we see as he um, lists out the first and main reason why he's sending Timothy to the Philippians. Uh, first and foremost that he, he explains that Timothy is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. But he's also selfless and, and he is committed as well. He's, he's trustworthy. He's a trustworthy disciple. He's, as um, many of us know, uh, is we have been familiar with the New Testament, that Timothy is Paul's faithful sidekick. He's the Robin to his Batman, or you know, whatever uh, picture you have of you know, uh, uh, teammates, of uh, master and disciple, of teacher and student. Um, this is Timothy, and he, he's, he's faithful, he's trustworthy. He, he's the first pick. He's uh, the best one to send. And uh, you know, many of us know this um, either through um, you know, just our experiences in school and growing up and, and uh, who gets picked on the, the, the team to um, play the game, the, the first one to get picked, and, and usually that's because of athletic skill or whatever it may be, or the first one to get picked to be a teammate. Um, in a a board game or a card game, uh, usually because of skill. But then as we grow older and we we get into uh, groups and either uh, later on in school or um, in our career and um, we get involved in group projects and uh, we, we know the, the first one to get picked is also not just the the one with the greatest ability and the, the proficiency and the greatest skill, but also the person that people like to work with and, and the person of character. We see that. That that Timothy is a, he's the first pick. He's the best one to send. He he is trusted. He's trusted by Paul, and he's trusted to not only complete the mission, but then to report back. Because he says that he he wants to be in good spirits. Good spirits uh, about um, the Philippians, about their condition. And he says, when I learn of your circumstances. He, He knows that Timothy will not only get the job done, but that he's going to then report back. And he's going to send a, a faithful report of, of what is happening. And it's interesting, I, I've you know been uh, chided about this either in a group before, um, especially in, in the military, um, where reporting is vital. It, it is vital because um, the leadership, they need information to make decisions and to... Um, to strategize, and to how they are to allocate resources. And sometimes, um, you know, a group or a unit or an individual can be faithful in completing the mission, but then they're not as faithful in reporting back what happened, or they leave information out, or they forget to um, provide all the information. And so the leader is is not um, able to make uh, wise and discerning decisions. But that's not the case with Timothy. Paul knows that not only will Timothy complete the mission, not only will he be of great aid to the Philippians and those around the Philippian church and around Philippi, but that he's also going to um, provide an accurate report back. He's also like-minded. He's, uh, as Paul says, for I have no one else of kindred spirit. Uh, this term could quite literally be translated one soul, of, of one soul, of one mind. He's like-minded. He, he understands the boss's intent. Um, you know, uh, a, another thing that you, you may see in um, you know, certain workplaces, teams, um, i especially seen this uh in the military is um, follow the commander's intent the boss's intent and so if you know the boss's intent the commander's intent then you don't necessarily need every specific detail because you know what they're thinking you know what they want you know their desires their motivation their intent and this is Timothy Timothy knows exactly what Paul wants him to do because he understands uh, Paul Intimately, he, he had, At this time, he had probably been with uh, Paul, this is probably about 11, 12 years after they had first met. Uh, Timothy had been with him. He understands Paul. And, and we see this, in a sense. Uh, this, is, this is the same thing which uh, Paul is uh, calling the Philippians to. As we look at, at verse 27 of chapter 1. As he calls the Philippians to only live their lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He wants to see them. He says that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear about your circumstances. That you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, contending together for the faith of the gospel. In a sense, he wants them to be like him and Timothy. That they are one. They are, they are one-minded they're they of um, one soul. They, they are like-minded. They are, um, both have one mission, one intent. This is what Paul wants the Philippians to be like. And he, he'll repeat that in, in verse 2 of chapter 2. And he says, Fulfill my joy that you think the same way by maintaining the same love, being united in spirit, thinking on one purpose. So that they, they would be so united on one purpose, so Fixated on the mission of the church, the purpose for which God had called them, that there isn't much need for uh, specific detailed communication. They understand the intent, they understand the purpose. And and this is why Timothy is, is so trustworthy because Paul knows him and Timothy knows Paul, and they're like minded. He's trustworthy. Second, he is he's selfless. He's selfless. As Paul says in verse 21, um, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. He's talking about all the other, um, all the other ministers, all the other disciples. Um, but Timothy's not like that. He is selfless. He, he's not only Obedient, but he genuinely cares. He genuinely cares about the church, about Paul, about um, what's happening to the Philippians, and and even also to the Ephesians, to the Colossians, to all the churches that Paul had had been to. He's generally concerned about their circumstances. It's not just that he's going to carry out the mission and uh, carry out the commands of Paul, but even if Paul, if all he said was just go see how they're doing, he, he can trust that, that Timothy will um will be successful because he cares. He cares about the people. He cares about the mission. And he he's not like the others. He's not like the others. And, and we see this as in, in the beginning of uh, this letter, as Paul even says, as he's in this uh, Roman house arrest and he's explaining his situation in verse 14 to 18, he says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord because of my chains, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ, even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me affliction in my chains. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. And this is what is sad, that there are gifted um, ministers, gifted disciples, who are doing the work of the ministry, but they're not genuine. They're, they're, they're concerned about their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. And, and they are doing the work. These are preachers. They are preaching the gospel, but they're doing it not to build God's kingdom, but their own. And there is a sense, in, especially in our day and age with social media, um, that we can look at other ministries and their websites and social media and other preachers, And um, I see some of them, and and there is a suspicion um, of whether or not they're seeking to um, create their own platform and build their own kingdom and extend their own ministry, or whether they're they're genuine in um, advancing the kingdom. And we see this. We we see this the way they're um, self-promoting. And yes, it's true, we don't know their heart. And we don't know whether or not they're just being shrewd or if it's all about them. But Paul sees through this in all, many of the men around him. And it is sad because he says, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. And it has been said um, by many preachers and pastors and um, that, We're all involved in kingdom work. We're all involved in building a kingdom. It's just the question is just whether or not that's our kingdom or God's kingdom. And something I have to continually ask myself and every minister has to continually confront their own heart of what their true motives are. Paul sees this. He sees a difference in Timothy. That Timothy is fully committed He's fully committed to the cause of Christ and and not his own cause. He is genuine. He's sincere. He's a a man of integrity. But he also understands the mission. He also understands the mission as he says in verse 21 about the other ministers who are, are not genuine, that they seek their own interests and not those of Christ Jesus. Saying that that Timothy, he he always seeks the interest of Christ Jesus. He always uh, seeks the cause of Christ. He he understands the mission of the church. He understands that he's been given a mission, as Paul has, to advance the gospel, to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth, to proclaim Christ, to see people come to know Jesus Christ uh, savingly and lovingly, and to see them um, conform to the image of Christ. That it's all about Jesus Christ, and, and there are subtle temptations in ministry to be tempted to um, focus more on the the church than Jesus Christ, than the head of the church, to get sidetracked into um, programs and uh, and just stuff. Uh, Whether that's uh, the facilities or the finances, uh, important things. Uh, And there's several important things within within ministry um, that you could get sidetracked and be uh, distracted from the most important. Constant fight, but Timothy understands. He's genuine. He's uh, trustworthy, he's selfless, he's committed, he understands the mission, he understands his role, he understands why he's there, he understands why Paul is sending him, and he's the best man for the job. Dr. Will Varner, in his commentary, he writes this, which is interesting. I found this very interesting in the flow of this whole uh, uh, book, um, because as we look at a passage. just as uh, the, um, what well, they always say, the, the three most important things of a business are location, location, location. Well, the three most important things of Bible interpretation are context, context, context. You always read a passage within its context. But Dr. Will Varner, he brings this out and he, when he says, there are verbal parallels between uh, chapter 2 and verses 19 to 24 and the Christological Confession Of verses 5 to 11 of chapter 2. He presents Timothy who has served selflessly in the gospel and has a genuine concern for the interests of the Philippians as a godly example of the way the Philippians should imitate Christ. Thus 2.19 to 24 as well as 2.25 to 30. um, These examples first of Timothy and then of Epaphroditus does not simply inform the Philippians about Paul's plans for Timothy and Epaphroditus, this section also has a hortatory purpose or a learning didactical purpose, an example by pointing them as models of a selfless attitude that Paul wants the community to follow. So as Paul is saying in this section that he's hoping to send Timothy, and then he'll, he'll talk about Epaphroditus... Um, it also has a secondary purpose, not just of his intent, but of their character as examples to be looked up to. And so, the first reason why we see why Paul intends to send Timothy to them is the character of Timothy, Timothy. And then, second, the second reason why Paul is sending Timothy to the Philippians is the credibility of Timothy. It's not just his character, but his credibility, as he says in verse twenty two, but you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Timothy is is known. He has a certain reputation, a certain credibility. As Paul says, you know of his proven worth. And there is a sense that we can uh, look in Acts and and we can see um, three instances where Timothy was actually there in Philippi. There may be more, um, but they knew Timothy as... Paul, he got around the Greco-Roman world, and for the most part, he was always with Paul, unless Paul was sending him somewhere else to check on another church. He, he was there, and he was, he, he was known, and he is, he is known as being valuable, first and foremost, he is known as being valuable. That's part of his credibility. He, he's, in a sense, uh, known as an MVP of the church. Uh, you're familiar with sports, uh, the most valuable player. The most valuable player in the, in the church. And what's interesting is, you know, I think of that picture, and for some of you sports fans, you, you understand what an MVP is. And, and what's interesting about MVPs is they're, they're, not, they're not always the most talented, per se, in one aspect of their, their sport, but they're MVPs because they have a broad range of skills and abilities. They're the most well-rounded player. And certainly, we, we can look at certain sections of the New Testament, primarily First and Second Timothy, and see um, some of Timothy's weaknesses. But for the most part, he is a well-rounded Um, experienced genuine um, believer and minister He, he is a man of character he and he is known as being valuable being valuable to the church and being valuable to Paul himself he's also known as being experienced experience as Paul says that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel Uh, Timothy has served with Paul in nearly every ministry endeavor and experience over the past 11, 12 years of his life at this point. You know, and and we we can read the New Testament and those passages which speak of Paul and Timothy, and we we think of, you know, the faithful sidekick, the dynamic duo. And, And sometimes we can just look at Timothy as. The young man who, yes, he, he, is, he is faithful, but he, he's, he's not ex- experienced as Paul. And, and there's some truth to that. But, but we can almost um, look at him as, as less than he really is. But this is an experienced minister. You know, a, a little over a decade. Of ministry experience and not just a decade of ministry experience, but experience in some of the harshest conditions, um, just a, a frontier missions ministry of church planting in in hostile situations and we think of this as Paul. Um, This opened my eyes a little bit more, reminded me a little bit more as I was thinking of Paul himself and Paul's endeavors because Timothy was always with him and and, um, if you will, you can turn to 2 Corinthians 11 and and I immediately thought of Paul's, um, in a sense, his ministry resume as Paul's own credibility is being attacked by um, the false teachers or just um, by... People jealous and divisive people in the Corinthian church. Paul is, in a sense, having to um, defend himself, and so in 2 Corinthians eleven, he, in a sense, um, defends himself, and he does so in such a way that he he says, "I don't even want to do this. I don't even want to. Um, I don't even want to uh, boast in myself as." As um, he would also tell the Corinthians. But he says this in, in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 21, he says, But in whatever respect anyone else is daring, I speak in foolishness. I am just as daring myself. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's seed? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, in beatings without number, in frequent danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in desolate places, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brothers. I have been in labor and hardship, in many sleepless nights, in starvation and thirst, often hungry and cold and without enough clothing. Apart from such external things, there is a daily pressure on me, of concern for all the churches. And this is the point, that in all of these instances, in all of these events, in many of them, Timothy was there. Timothy was with Paul. He had experienced many of the same things. If it wasn't in exactly each and every one of these instances, it was in, most if not all, that Timothy was right there with Paul experiencing the same things. And, and if he wasn't there with Paul, he was somewhere else experiencing something similar, whether he was um, uh, evangelizing lost or building up the church, there was similar experiences. Uh, it, Timothy had uh, 11, 12 years of like experiences as Paul. He, he has personal experience in every aspect and context of ministry. So he's not only known as being valuable to the church, he's also known as being experienced. As Paul said that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. He was always there. He was always with him. He's not only known as being experienced, but he's known as being obedient and loved like a child serving his father, like an obedient child or a young man serving his father. This, this picture is, you know, and, and we don't see it too much nowadays because um, just our culture, or society. But um, up until about a hundred years ago or so, um, young men took after their father in the trade. Um, e- even many of our, our last names um, came from the trade. The, the, the family trade, the family business that uh, a, a young man would take after his father. And, and if nothing else, the young man would tr- be trained up in that trade. Whether, whether or not he would depart from it, um, he would at least be trained in that trade. He would be apprenticed by his father, learning the family trade. And, and he would be obedient to do so. And there is a sense that, um, you know, we read about people in in church history and just history in general. There is a sense where when uh, a a young man, a young child, especially the firstborn, when he departs from the family trade or the family business, there is a sense of shame, of disappointment. But here's this picture that Paul paints of a child serving his father, being apprenticed by his father, learning the family trade. And the family trade here, in a spiritual sense, is ministry. He's not only an obedient child, he's like a beloved child who has always served his father, the one who is going to take over the family business. We see that, you know, using the same picture, and you're probably familiar with this, you know, in a large family especially with a, a, a lot of sons. And um, you know, someone when the father gets older and, and he has to make that decision, who's going to take over the family business? Who's going to take over the farm or the workshop or whatever it may be? And growing up, it becomes clearer and clearer who that is going to be, who that young man is going to be, who's going to take it over. This is a, the, the picture of, of Paul and Timothy. And he, in a sense, alludes to this. There's other places um, that we see in the New Testament in in Paul's writings. 1 Corinthians 4, 16, he says to the Corinthians, Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. Uh, For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, And who will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. As he's he's calling the Corinthians to be imitators of him as he is of Christ, He, he, he uses Timothy as an example and says, For this reason I sent to you Timothy, a similar reason why he's sending Timothy to the Philippians. As he says, he's my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you of my ways which are in Christ. This is what he is going to do um, at the church at Philippi, to remind them of Paul's ways in Christ, of how they are to walk. And, and as you know, we read through uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians, there, there's not much in the way of just an explicit correction, but of encouragement and an exhortation to excel still more. And Timothy is going to be the prime example of this. To the Thessalonians, Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians 3. He says, Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, speaking about himself and the disciples and um, other uh, apostles, therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we were pleased to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. And so we see in those instances with the other churches as we do here that Timothy was the first and best pick. He was the primary candidate. He was the the example of Paul. He was, in a sense, Paul's shadow. I like what John Calvin wrote concerning this um, passage in his commentary. He writes this concerning Paul. He says, He promises them the coming of Timothy, that from their expecting him they may bear up more courageously and not give way to impostors. For as in war, an expectation of help animates soldiers so as to keep them from giving way. So this consideration too was fitted to encourage greatly the Philippians. And so there's this other picture which Calvin paints of the, um, in a sense, the elite soldier, the warrior that is being sent forward to help out this, um, this discouraged and this um, battle-wearied unit. Uh, this is also a picture of Timothy, that, that in sending this man, this experienced minister, this faithful servant, this man of great integrity and character and credibility, in sending him, it's going to reinvigorate the Philippians, reinvigorate that church. It's going to encourage them uh, just hearing the news that, well, Timothy's coming. And, and it, it's not like, oh, you know, Paul, Paul's not able to come, so I, I guess we'll we'll deal with, we'll, we'll accept Timothy as a second choice no it's timothy's coming timothy's coming to help us out timothy man what what an encouragement he's going to teach us he's going to encourage us he's going to help us he's going to bring us news as well and so that it's also a sense that that timothy would not only help but he would help by encouraging them by reinvigorating them and so we see not only um, the character of Timothy as a main reason why Paul is sending him but also the credibility of Timothy and then third the third reason why Paul is sending Timothy to the Philippians we read is the capability of Timothy that he was he is not only credible he was not only a man of character but he was a man of great capability. We read in verses 23 to 24, therefore I hope to send him immediately as soon as I evaluate my own circumstances. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. And we don't see a a lot of um, his um, capabilities here in these verses, but it's implied. It's implied in the fact that Timothy is both needed and wanted. He's needed by the Philippians, but he's wanted by Paul. He's needed by Paul, but he's also wanted by the Philippians as well. I mean, we we see this this, um, intention and this desire on on Paul's part to send him immediately. But then he kind of takes a step back. He walks it back. He says, I I am willing and, and, and I want to send Timothy. That's my intentions. I hope to send him as soon as I can but not before I evaluate my own circumstances. In in, in other words, I think I still need him for a little bit. Like like Timothy is so useful. He'll be such a benefit to you, Philippians, that he's the best person for the job that I want to send him. But first, before I do, I got to make sure that I can get by on my own without him. You know, this is the, the number one worker in the company. You know, this is the MVP on the team. This is a star player. And, and, and though he will have a great impact and, and, and though he um, will do great things, he's also, because of that, those same facts, he's also hard to let go of. He's, he's hard to let go of because he, he's useful wherever he goes. Wherever he, he goes, he's going to encourage, he's going to bless, he's going to uh, teach, he's going to be a, the primary example of, of what it means to be a, a leader and a, a, a faithful believer. And so because of that, he, he's hard to let go. But Paul knows that he needs to send him and he wants to send him, but first... He has to evaluate his own circumstances to make sure that there's nothing left that he needs Timothy to take care of before he leaves. And then even then, Paul says, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself also will be coming, that he wants to come, but he also wants to come uh, with Timothy as well, to be there, to come behind Timothy. He's looking forward to that day in which he will be released and, and actually join Timothy. And this is interesting because, you know, this, this hints at, at part of the, the principles behind sending men out for ministry. That, um, you know, it, and, and this is sad, um, but in, uh, for, for quite a time, in, uh could probably go back to the past hundred years or so, and um, just the stories of uh, seminaries and Bible colleges... And uh, oftentimes, and I remember of one such uh, seminary that um, for those who uh, didn't get um, the highest marks in certain classes, they were pushed aside to become missionaries, not domestic pastors. But, and, and there is a sense that, that this has has been the case in, in some seminaries, Bible colleges, uh, even churches, that, you know what, you're, you're, not, you're not exactly of the caliber to be a pastor. You know, we believe you're called, we just believe you need more experience, but, but go ahead and be a missionary. Go ahead and, and go forth to, you know, someone else, and then, you know, maybe you get some experience, and then maybe you can come back and be a pastor, but that's not only wrong, it's not the New Testament model. Because the New Testament model is to send, is to train up men, and, and then when they're able to be an effective um, pastor and minister within their own context, amongst their own people, then we send them out to other people. He is the Messiah, and nonetheless, there's crowds following him and wondering about him, and he says in Luke nine twenty three, he says to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is it a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels." This is where all discipleship starts. This is Discipleship 101, and and Timothy understood this. That in following Christ means denying yourself. It it means giving up your past life. It, It means dying to self because Christ has died for you. If you believe in him, if you have repented and placed your trust in Christ, you follow him, you follow his example of dying to self, of, of living not for self, but for the sake of others and for the sake of Christ. What is best for the other person? What is best for the church? And you proclaim this gospel that sinners can be forgiven, can be redeemed. If they would recognize their sin, if they would own their sin, if they would repent from their sin, if they would trust in Jesus Christ and trust in his sacrifice and his sacrifice alone, then they would be forgiven. They would be born again and then they would be uh, conformed to the image of Christ and work towards um, obeying Christ and following after Christ and giving themselves up for others as Christ has given himself up for us. This is the call. This is the call of discipleship. This is the call which we are to emulate. And this is the call which Timothy himself emulated. He is a prime example of a faithful man of God. And he's one example which we are to follow. And as we see, he is not the perfect example as we read that later in First and Second Timothy, that he needs, like many of us, needs encouragement. He needs instruction. He needs reminders to uh, fan into flame the the gift that was given him. Not to become timid or or, um, fearful or fearing man, but to be bold, to be courageous, to trust in God. And this is the call. This is the call to every believer to deny themselves, to take up their cross, and to follow Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of Timothy. We thank you for his faithfulness. We, we also thank you that, um, that we see some of his weaknesses and his flaws. That he, he wasn't the perfect man. That there's only one perfect man. Uh, the the God man, Christ Jesus, whom we follow. And we all have our own weaknesses and our own flaws and besetting sins which we struggle with. But the example remains the same, to follow Christ, to deny ourselves. And so, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to do that in the little things. Help us to think of others as more important than ourselves. Help us to think of the church. Help us to think of the gospel and your kingdom, to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and, and not to worry about all the other uh, petty things of this world or our own self-interests. Help us to, um, to put to death those uh, sinful, selfish desires that we all fight with. And help us to um, honor Christ in all that we think, say, and do. It's in his name we pray. Amen.